630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hockey Canada has confirmed that the World Junior Selection Camp in Red Deer suspended for two weeks as of Monday. That's when a couple of players tested positive. So players and coaches must go into the mandatory 14-day quarantine period under an an order put forward by Alberta Health Services. So this means, as uh, as I put out on Twitter around 5 o'clock this afternoon, that the games against the U of A Golden Bears, which had been scheduled for Saturday and Sunday at 6 o'clock and would have been broadcast nationally on TSN, will not happen. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be rescheduled. Obviously, that would push things uh, later into December and closer to to Christmas if they did try to play them. There are other pre-tournament games scheduled for Team Canada as we move along. So that's the latest there. Um, I I, I got some information from a source, like I said, around 5 o'clock, posted something on Twitter. Uh, I later saw Jim Matheson and Ryan Rashog chime in on that as well with some information they have received. And uh, Hockey Canada put out a press release confirming that in the last last about 10 minutes. So that's disappointing, obviously. Uh, World Juniors, always exciting and people are starved for hockey and the U of A Golden Bears always great to watch and I think they would have done uh, been a very very stout opponent shall we say for the world junior team so those games will not happen and again I simply don't have it in any word on if and when they uh, they would be rescheduled so that would take us to December 6th until the selection camp can start up again so maybe that weekend uh, after that, because they were going to play games three weekends in a row, it was the U of A Mount Royal and then another opponent originally was going to be Calgary, but the Dinos were no longer in the picture there. So that is the update on that. We'll also talk a little bit about hockey Edmonton a little bit later on tonight. Steve Hogel uh, is the GM of hockey Edmonton. He's uh, back in town after being with the Saskatoon Blades for a few years. Tough go for minor hockey kids and parents. And now they're dealing with a, a three-week shutdown here. Can they get an exemption? Can they maybe extend the season? Could they still get kids on the ice for one-on-one uh, lessons if, if they want to do that? We'll touch on that with Steve. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I'd be happy to hear from you tonight if you want to text 780-496-0063 or call that number. We do have a lot of guests tonight, but we can fit in some open line um, if you want, specifically just for minor, minor hockey parents or if there are any minor hockey players out there. Um, you know, how are you feeling? Um are you happy, unhappy with how minor hockey, the, the hand it's been dealt and outside of Edmonton applies to, um, you know, are you, are you happy with, with, uh, with how this has been? Do you feel like maybe you're getting a little bit of an unfair shake? I've talked to a couple of people I know who are minor hockey parents who have said, look, we're being careful. Uh, the kids are going to school. Um, and as we know, COVID has not been as dangerous with younger kids as it has been with adults and especially seniors. So do you feel this is kind of a raw deal for hockey players or, or are you just rolling with it at this point? Or do you think it's the right decision? 780-496-0063. Okay, uh, Jeff Merrick is on the line. I'm pleased to have this gentleman back on the show. Jeff, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> Reed, it's great to hear your voice again. And yeah, listen, I share the frustration. I'm a, I'm a minor hockey dad as well. Uh, so I know all about uh, what, uh, what, what parents are going through and, and how kids feel right now and... Uh, I've got two of them. I've got a 2010 and a 2012, and 
they both had, you know, ice times reduced and players on the ice reduced. And uh, it's a great time to be a backyard rink manufacturer right now, much like in the uh, in the summer. It's great to be a manufacturer of inline skates and, and bicycles. But uh, I can imagine what the calls are going to sound like later on, Reed, uh, on your program, because I know parents are not exactly thrilled uh, at how things are unfolding for minor hockey across the country. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation, and uh, you know, Jeff, I, I don't have kids, so I, I hesitate to wade into it too heavily because I'm not experiencing it firsthand. But like I like I said, and and Steve Hogel will, who of course you know you know as a broadcaster as well, but yep. from that part of his career, yeah, I just got the sense that that minor hockey families, you know, the kids, the parents, the siblings, were all trying really hard and we're we're doing the right things and obeying the the schedules and getting kids out on the ice so i, I know that's where the frustration um comes from so we'll see and and and, and you know what F- further to that as well and i can't i can't speak to alberta but in ontario and the rinks that our kids have, have been at around around southwestern ontario the rinks have done a really good job as well I mean, insisting on, you know, how the kids line up to come in, how parents, even if they're allowed into the rink, uh, how they're socially distanced, uh, how things like, you know, the benches are all wiped down. Uh, If there is a dressing room, all the numbers have to be limited. Those dressing rooms all get wiped down too. So it seems as if, you know, everybody, this is, again, this is just anecdotal and just my experience, Reed. Everybody is really trying, as far as the hockey community goes, from my experience, trying to do the right thing. Do we hear all the horror stories of people filling rinks with like 25? I remember there's a, a rink here in Toronto when, when COVID, when the first lockdown happened uh, uh, here in, in Toronto, and there was one rink that got shut down. You know, uh, authorities walked in. There were 25 kids on one rink, 15 kids on an adjacent rink, and 15 pros using the gym, and they shut that down. So you do hear the horror stories. Um, Surely there are some, you know, bad examples and some bad eggs, but I think overall hockey people are trying to do the right thing here. Yeah, I, I th- and I think the large majority of, of uh, Canadians are, regardless of what they think or what opinions they might have, I think ultimately that, that most people have been looking out for each other. And, and you heard me talk, and, and thanks for hanging on through my preamble there, but this was just sort of breaking with, with oh, Hockey yeah, Canada. No, 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 no. And, and look, I, I know those are games that would have been on a competitive network for Sportsnet, but hey, the World Juniors are, are, are big. And I was kind of excited yeah. too, but, but Sportsnet shows the University Cup and usually those are the two or three times a year that the Golden Bears are on uh, national television. So I was excited because it's like, hey, what a showcase the Bears a little bit too. Totally, but still the best jersey in the nation. As far as I'm concerned, that's the best look going. Um, yeah, like TSN has turned this thing into, you know, the the juggernaut and it beca- it's become a benchmark tournament. I mean, we can all remember, you know, when this thing was, you know, a little small, quaint kind of tournament. I mean, CBC had the rights and it was, you know, until Pia in 1987 with, you know, the Gunter Sebetsky turning off the lights and the brawl between the Russians and the Canadians, that really sort of, I think in a lot of ways, galvanized Canadians and turned attention to the uh, to the tournament. But they've done a really good job turning this into into a marquee event. And it's become must-watch. And it's a, a way for, you know, hockey fans to see those next players that are coming into uh, the NHL as far as superstars go. So it's one that... Listen, I've always watched it. I've always enjoyed the juniors just as I enjoy the U18s and the Ivan Holinka and, and all these tournaments. This is that last 
sort of development tournament before these before these kids turn pro. And like this is huge news. Like as you all well know, and I got reports from Ed Deere, and I had, someone told me a number about uh, people about uh, players that that have COVID right now, which I haven't been able uh, to confirm, so I, I won't share it. But it is it is a number that is um, that is uh, pretty significant. And this is a big story. This is a, a you know not just a, a small little story here. This is without any other hockey going. This is the big story in the in the hockey world right now today. Well, thanks. So, so you, I, I realize you don't want to share the number, but it's but obviously you're leading us to believe it's more than the two that were initially reported on Monday. As as far as I'm as far as I have been told, but I have not been able to confirm it. But I was told a okay. number, and I'm not the only one that has been told this number, but. Uh, put it this way: When Hockey Canada says we're going into 14-day quarantine here, you know it's not a small number. Yeah, yeah, and it's a great point. Great point. Jeff Merrick joining us from the NHL on Sportsnet and the uh, 31 Thoughts podcast, and and that's the thing that's impressive with with hockey. Like I was wondering, okay, at some point, you know, Jeff and and Elliot, and, and like, are they going to have to maybe just do the 14 Thoughts podcast because there's less going on? <laughs> Just just eleven thoughts oh, no, this week. Oh no no, we can stretch this out. Like, like don't worry. There are there are some days where I like because Elliot will always send me his piece, a sort of uh, you know a, a few hours before it publishes after he after he finishes it. And there have been plenty of times where I send back, "You gotta be kidding here!" Like there's about maybe seven or eight legitimate things in you. And then everything else is just like a one-line comment. And this one's a quick hitter. This one's an observation. Um, and yeah, we, uh, we've been known to stretch it sometimes on the podcast as well, Reed. So, uh, listen, we're all in the same business here. Nobody, nobody gets out clean. Uh, 31 thoughts, the podcast sometimes. How about that? Well, uh, you know, you guys do great work, and and I and look, we're we're hearing a lot of stuff. You know, it's yeah. it's that it's it's the best. Yeah. We hear a lot of stuff. Like I had Christopher Stieg, who's only out of the league a couple of years on the show, and he yeah. reiterated what we always hear, man. Like escrow is a bad word. That's I think Elliot wrote that. That's like the filthiest word the players can ever hear. So deferral. I mean, if they defer money, they still might get all not get all that money back. But if they put it into escrow, they pretty much know they're not getting it back. You're throwing it away. Like, it's gone. It's never coming back. You know, deferral, you're, you are getting it back. You know, is it going to be interest-free? We don't believe so. Um, but you are getting that money back. And listen, like, I talked to someone uh, I talked to someone about this a few days ago who brought up a really good point with me because this guy played with the Quebec Nordiques back in the day, and he was from Ontario. And he said, look, you know, when I played with the Nordiques, I deferred almost all of my salary until I was back in Ontario because I did not want to pay Quebec taxes. At that point, I think it was like 64% or something like that, Reed. I mean, this goes back to the 80s, right? And so, like, the idea of deferral for some players doesn't sound very palatable when you consider, you know, the nature of, you know, what escrow is going to be, what, you know, whatever your provincial or state tax is, plus your agency fee. Like, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty significant when you start act, talking about deferring even more money. But, again, deferral is a – the D word is not as bad as the E word, uh, so to speak. And I'll, I'll tell you what, like, the – so the one the one place that really drove it home for me is I was talking to someone right before I came on the uh, came on the show with you here, Reed, who brought up the point about the hockey player who makes and I think the number was either eight fifty or eight seventy five 
that with the latest proposal from the owners, with the deferrals and the escrow and the tax and the agency, will look at take-home pay this year, something in the neighborhood of $180,000. There's nothing wrong with making $180,000. I am not saying that that's, you know, meager change. But when your salary calls for eight seventy-five and you're walking away with one eighty, you say to yourself, that's a pretty bitter pill to swallow right there, isn't it? Well, and if you're a player making eight seventy five, you're going a year to year, right? You probably yeah, don't have you, a five year contract. So great point. that one eighty might have to last a few years. Great point. Yes, you're you're on that one year to one year uh, bouncing around just trying to just trying to survive in the NHL bouncing from team to team. That's a great point. Yeah. Um uh, I, I love having you on. Uh, how's uh, how's your fitness? I know you're you're a pretty fit, uh, healthy guy. Sometimes we we talk about running. How, how's that part of yeah. your life? Uh, still running, not as much as before. I've been doing more more biking and 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 more lifting, trying to trying to vary things up. But uh, I know you're a runner. You've done uh, you've done your marathons. You're a, you're a fit guy yourself. But yeah, things are things are okay. You know the um, the pandemic. I think with with a lot of people. You know, it really, because, you know, I, I stopped going to my gym and I just sort of turned my garage, Reed, into a, into a, into a home gym. Uh, like everybody else, had a problem ordering any type of weights uh, online or, or otherwise because they were all sold out. But um, I'm, I'm kind of in a good routine right now. Like between, you know, getting out on the, the road to run or to, or to get on the bike or to, to, to work out, it's, uh, I'm in a pretty good spot. I got, I got to stay in the suits. Right, Reed? Like, <laughs> when it's finally open, we go back. Like, I don't want to be the guy that's like, okay, we're going to have to do something about the pants before we get you on television here. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Jeff, uh, I always appreciate your perspective. I love chatting with you. We're going to have to do this uh, again. It's been too long since we had you on, but uh, glad you're doing well. And, yeah, hang in there. Hopefully we're talking about some actual games sooner rather than later, buddy. Yeah, with you. Great to hear your voice again, Reed. You take care. All the best to your listeners as well. That is Jeff Merrick checking in tonight from the NHL on Sportsnet, the 31 Thoughts podcast. Uh, love talking to him. Always has good information, good opinion on stuff. Uh, really down-to-earth guy as well. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Uh, I got a couple of texts here about uh, about minor hockey. Uh, really feeling the brunt here of uh, of sports being shut down. I can tell you the AJHL, which we talked about a little, a little bit last night, um, that, yeah, they're going to have to see if they can apply for an exemption. So Board of Governors talking about that, and the Alberta Juniors will have to decide what is ahead for their season. Quick timeout on Inside Sports. Pardon me, that's not the hand of God goal. That was uh, the second goal in the game. Diego Maradona walking through half of the English side in the 1986 World Cup, a quarterfinal on June 22nd. He uh, scored the hand of God goal where he uh, made the officials believe that he had headed the ball into the English net, but he'd actually 
punched it with his hand. And then when he was asked after the game, he said, did you, did you touch that with your head or your hand? He goes, well, a little bit with my head, a little bit with the hand of God. So it should it shouldn't have counted, but then later on he walked through the <laughs> the English team, scored an amazing goal. So that was the uh, Argentinian call of that one. Maradona passing away today at the age of uh, sixty, one of the greatest soccer players of all time. The Oilers have signed defenseman Philip Kemp to a three year entry level contract. He's twenty one. He was named the Yale Bulldogs captain for this season, but the Ivy League. Year has been canceled. Kemp selected in the seventh round of the 27 NHL draft. And Edmonton native Johnny Boychuk, playing for the New York Islanders, has decided to retire. It's because of an eye injury he sustained last season. 13-year NHL career. He is 36 years of age. Jake DeBrusque, another Edmonton product from the Boston Bruins, recently got a new contract. He's scheduled to join us next. Now DeBrusque relays it over to the near side. Pasternak up top to Bergeron. Tries to settle it. Near side Pasternak. Shoots deflected. Let's go! little bit of NHL action for you from February 8th. Judd Surratt with the call for the Boston Bruins radio network. A goal by our next guest, Bruins forward Jake DeBrusque. Jake, thanks for checking in on Inside Sports. You're on with Reed. How are you doing, man? Doing well. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I appreciate you checking in on the show. And uh, here's a little fun fact about that goal. Uh, well, maybe it's not that fun. Uh, but that was the last time you scored a goal that made the majority of the fans cheer because the remainder of your goals for this past season were either scored on the road or in the bubble where there weren't any fans. So there's my somewhat depressing, not so fun fact of the night. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, it's not necessarily a fun one. <laughs> Wish I could score more. Score more home is the best way to score, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, look, I, I want to hit on a few things with you. It's, I really appreciate you checking in again. Where, where are you hanging out right now? What are you up to? Uh, I'm just chilling right now. I'm uh, actually in my, uh, my house here in Edmonton and just uh, yeah, just keeping a low-key night, obviously, with all the guidelines and things going on. So, yeah, just uh, post up back home here. Now, have you been skating at all, trying to stay sharp? Uh, yeah, I've been skating about, uh, I want to say, three or four times a week for the last probably month. Um, so the, the ice sessions obviously are getting a little affected right now, so I'm trying to figure out, um, you know, everyone's in a little bit of a scramble mode, trying to figure out how to obviously get ice and, uh, you know, do it in the guidelines. And uh, I think there's still some private skates that you can do with small small groups, but uh, to be honest with you, everyone's in scramble mode. So, um, you know, a couple of my buddies here are trying to figure it out, and, uh, they're my managers, so I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Maybe some outdoor rink action. I'm I'm not too sure. <laughs> okay. Now, have you been going out with other uh, local NHLers or just more, like you said, with, with some friends and stuff? Um, no, I've, I've been going out with, uh, I would say, both. I mean, uh, I, I train with uh, Georgia Estefan. I used to play uh, uh, with him in Southside Athletic Club, and he actually just left to go to Kansas City. Um, but we were playing this 4-on-4 four four league that had, uh, you know, pros in it like Mark Kizik and uh, actually Johnny Boychuk was in there too and, um, you know, a couple other little guys here and there. And 
uh, pro ranks, you know, pro rank players and, um, you know, good, good pace. You know, that's what we're all trying to get better and trying to prepare ourselves for the unknown. So what did you do after you guys were eliminated by Tampa Bay? Because that was right where you're usually going to get ready for training camp. And, and look, I know you're a hockey player, so your, your season always ends one way or another, but could you approach it like, or has anything about this, these last few months felt anything like a normal off season? Have you tried to make it feel as normal as possible? Uh, um, I mean, at first, not at all. I mean, you know, it's one of those things, like you said, uh, coming home, usually that's when I was leaving to go to training camp. Uh, it's what I've been kind of programmed to do. I think we've all been programmed to do that. Uh, for the last, you know, whatever, five, six years. Um, but, yeah, no, it was actually really interesting at first. It was felt weird. It felt weird to take kind of a break. Obviously, we're on the body to recover and, um, you know, look look after some things. And then, uh, you know, now I think, uh, you know, with training here the last, it feels like it's the longest summer I've had since I've been in the league. So uh definitely feels more normal now, if that makes any sense. But uh, wearing masks in and out of the gym and stuff like that, that'll never get normal for me. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, pretty strange for for sure. Jake DeBrus joining us tonight, Boston Bruins forward here on Inside Sports. You know, we haven't we haven't been able to talk for a while, so I I, I hope you don't mind. I just want to reflect on uh, first of all, just what was it like for you, um, just being in the bubble? Uh, you know, like I said off the top, every game's a, a neutral site game. There's last change. Other than that, there's there's no really real home ice advantage. And oh, by the way, you're staying in a hotel with all the guys you're you're banging heads with night after night of the playoffs. Yeah, it was definitely weird. It felt like uh, almost like one of the, the tournaments that you play when you're like in Bam or Midget, except that it's obviously a different level. And just with the no fans, that was something that um, was definitely different. You know, the only people that were in the rink were either the commentators or um, you know black aces or uh, other teams, GMs, and things like that. So. Uh, there wasn't a lot of noise out there. It was one of the funny things, too, watching uh, the games after. You know, the only thing that was, um, you know, for sound for us, is, you know, that they pumped crowd noise into sound when you're watching on TV. But for us, it was just it was just the game. So it took everyone, I think, a couple games to get used to that. It was it was obviously an interesting experience. Like you said, there was uh, times where you're going to the elevator, you're seeing guys and you know, teams that you're playing that night or other uh, other teams. And, um, you know, I think it was I think the NHL did a great job of, obviously keeping it contained and, um, you know, making sure that we were safe to play, but uh, definitely was a weird experience. You know, it's one of those things that I personally not necessarily don't, I don't want that to happen again. If that makes any sense. But, um, you know, there's bigger things than uh, worrying about staying in a hotel for a couple months. <laughs> I wonder too, one of the strange things that happened to the Boston Bruins, because um, was your game one between you guys and Carolina, wasn't it postponed to the following morning because of the five overtime game? Yeah, that was kind of insane. That was uh, that was a little bit different. We were waiting for yeah, because I think they went to what five OTs. Was it five OTs they went to? Yeah, it went five to the fifth overtime. Yeah. yeah, so we're getting like we're getting prepared and stuff like that, and we're kind of watching the game. And it's, you know, it's getting the second and third overtime, and um, you're trying to time. Everyone has such routines, right? So you're trying to time, um, you know, what you drink, when you stretch, when you do different things, and stuff like that. And uh, once it got around to the fourth overtime, we're all we all were just sitting around watching the game at this point, you know, because we didn't know what was going on. And obviously those. Uh, long overtime games I mean I don't know any hockey fan that doesn't like watching that um, but we didn't know what was going on they actually had a decision uh, I think the NHL was talking with the two teams and um, you know it was like it pretty much was a deadline if they go if they go into the fifth one so if it got past the fourth overtime they're gonna uh, obviously postpone it to the next afternoon but 
that was definitely a weird experience. I remember talking to Z about it. I was like, have you ever seen anything like this? And uh, he never even went through it. So um, it was good to go through with the boys, I guess. We ended up winning um, the first game. So um, that, that definitely was uh, was all good. But, yeah, that was weird. There was another game, too, I think. They, I think they went to third overtime, Tampa and Columbus. And we were like, here's deja vu again, you know. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. Jake DeBrus from the, the room <laughs> just trying to prepare. It's like, you know, the unknown, right? Well, yeah, and I, I know athletes are creatures of habits. That's the, that's what you guys all tell me anyway. <laughs> so anything <laughs> yeah. that throws off the timing, right? Jake DeBrus joining us at Inside Sports. So, uh, look, j- just, to, just to reflect on that, the, the, the tournament a bit more, um, you know, Tampa Bay, which I think has become a rival for you guys, two elite teams in the Eastern Conference, uh, a five-game series, but but a couple of games um, went to overtime. W- when you look back, what was ultimately the difference, do you think, that, that put the Bolts just a bit ahead of you guys? Yeah, I think that they just got the, uh, you know, the right bounce at the right time. So you need to win playoff series and, um, you know, they obviously deserve to win it and, uh, you know, all these asterisks and different things. It's arguably the hardest cup to win. I'm not taking anything away from Tampa Bay in that sense. But uh, I think they just scored timely goals. You know, it's one of those things that's how you win playoff series. I remember uh, when we went on our run, uh, we got those kind of run support and those goals at those times. And, um, you know, it just didn't go our way. And uh, it was obviously unfortunate and not something that we planned on doing. You know, obviously, like you said, they're, they're, they've always been at the top of the East and in and, and our division too. So, uh, it's pretty much a marquee matchup, and we obviously want to do better as a squad, but uh, you know, it didn't go our way. Well, you know, and one thing you guys had to deal with, you know, some players decided not to play, and 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 you guys, uh, you know, had 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 the goaltender Tuka Rask, who decided that uh, that he was going to opt up. Just and look, I'm not questioning his decision at all. Everybody has a right to do that, but I'm just wondering how the team. Um, uh, and I mean, I know he started, then he decided he, he needed to move on to take care of some family issues. Tell me about the team, uh, you know, supporting him and, and dealing with that. Yeah, the team was uh, all for it. I mean, not all, well, <laughs> I'm not trying to get my words twisted here, but we were, we were, we were always with Huka. You know, we respected his decision, and uh, we had a meeting that, that same morning when it kind of happened, when he was gone, and uh, just talked about it as a team, and we support him no matter what. You know, there is bigger things than hockey, and Obviously, you know, fans and people from the outside might not understand that, but um, we're with him through it, through it all. And, um, you know, it would have been obviously nice to have him on the ice, but I thought uh, Euro played very well. And, um, you know, it was one of those things we're all just kind of bond together. You know, it was one of those um, times where we didn't know if the media would try to get um, us split up in a way or anything like that. But uh, like I said earlier, we all respected his decision and, and uh, we had his back. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Boychuk, you know, I, he's retiring. You mentioned it. I, he was a Bruin, obviously, before you got there, but both from uh, you're both from Edmonton, and you mentioned you've seen him a little bit in four-on-four stuff. Just tell me about, a little bit about your relationship with uh, with uh, with Johnny. And, and, I mean, a heck of a career, you know, th- 13 years going to the age of 36, and he would have kept going if not for the, uh, the eye injury. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Johnny's just a great guy. You know, he's really... Um, the first time I ever met him, he came right up to me and started talking to me about Boston, going to places to eat. I think this was like right after I got drafted or maybe the year after. I've only known him for a couple of years, but super approachable guy. And honestly, the game lost a good, a good, good guy today. And, um, you know, I actually talked to me. He brought it up to me, and I was <laughs> I was begging him to come back to the Bs. You know, I would love to play with him and everything like that. But, um, you know, obviously, like you said, a great career. He won a cup in Boston. He was a fan favorite there. And, uh, he has some of the best sellies, so I've always loved watching him play with that rocket he's got at the back end. And, um, you know, just a really good guy. He's really approachable and um, treats everyone the same way. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a little weird not seeing him around uh, on, on the ice here. 
You mentioned as well Big Z, of course, Sedano Chara, who remains uh, a free agent. He's he's going to the Hall of Fame whenever he uh, whenever he retires after the waiting period. Um, to tell me a little bit about him. I mean, what uh, an incredible career. He's always the the biggest or one of the biggest players in the NHL, but he's got a heck of a lot of skill too. Uh, I enjoyed when you guys played when you guys played the Oilers this season that uh, he and Yamamoto, who's one of the smallest players in the NHL, <laughs> kind of mixed it up a, a little bit. Uh, but just t- take us behind the scenes with with Char a, a little bit. What's he like as a leader there? Yeah, no, he, he sets the tone for our team. He always has since the first day I got into camp and uh, obviously he's such a big presence. Like you said, he's pretty big and um, you know, I think the, the one thing that I always talk about with Z is uh, his preparation. You know, the things that he has to sacrifice to play at this level because the game is getting faster. Uh, there's more speed and more skill. And um, the things that he does to make sure his body is prepped and ready to go is something that I'll take with me. And just the overall interactions he has with the guys, you know, like he, he sets the tone for our team, um, I think, more than people give him credit for. And obviously just his presence on the ice, you know, he can still, um, like you said, he's a, you know, he's highly skilled you got to be highly skilled to play that long in the NHL at this level, right? And, you know, he's been a top defenseman shutting down the other guys, uh, the other team's lines, I guess, top lines. And, um, you know, just a matter of just preparation. And the same thing with kind of Johnny. They're kind of similar in a way, you know, obviously just very approachable and uh, really lets you know if you have any questions about anything uh, to do with the team or just in general, he's always there for you. And, um, you know, he's a guy that I love going to battle with. Jake, you're coming off a year. You got into 65 games in a season where, you know, the team didn't play much more than that. You had 19 goals, 16 assists, so pretty solid stats. Uh, you just came to terms on a two-year deal on Monday. I, I, I know I always ask you that one question that's that, that's blunt to the extent that maybe it annoys you a little bit. So here's the one tonight. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you got? <laughs> what, what, what took so long with the contract? What to, What took so long? <laughs> Honestly, a lot of things, man. The pandemic didn't help. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, went into it. I think it's it's been reported now, but we're talking long-term during the year. Um, and then, obviously, like I said, this pandemic thing kind of, um, you know, obviously affects everybody, but affected me as well and the Bruins. And, um, you know, just kind of seemed like it just kept, kept getting pushed back. And then we started talking about a, a short-term deal, and we we're, were just working through the details of that. And, um, you know, very happy and honored to be signed back with them. You know, it's one thing I really wanted. I, lo- I love playing in Boston. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, I was getting asked that a lot, though, Matt. I was getting asked that a lot. But uh, it's the way it is. It's the way the business goes. And also just uh, the real life, uh, you know, the crisis going on. You know, it affects everything, right? Yeah. Well, and and I, I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable spot here. And I know, you know, there's a lot of talking going on. But are you feeling like... Um, like you're ready to go whenever January 1st, January 15th, if, if, if everything's safe, uh, you want to get something figured out here? Uh, yeah, I'm preparing for it. That's, that's the, that's the one way I looked at it. And obviously I just signed on Monday and it kind of moved pretty fast throughout the, I guess last week. Um, so I wanted to be ready just in case, you know, I wanted to be ready just in case it goes to January and, and you know, just as much as I do, you know, there's, there's reports here and there, about when the season's going to start. So, um, you know, obviously you want to be prepared coming into it. Uh, at all costs. That's just, that's just being a good pro. I think any, anybody would say that. But uh, I've been training to, uh, you know, obviously get back into into the form because uh, even if we do come back, say January or February or wherever it is, you know, the games are going to be differently scheduled. You know, there's going to be different times. There's going to be different games. It's probably going to be a lot more back to backs, and it's going to be a little bit more, um, you know, grueling on the body. So 
I've been trying to really prepare that. I took I took some time off after the bubble, and then I've uh, been going pretty hard since then. It's I've been lucky, I've been able to be on the ice and and been able to work out and had no issues so far. So um, you know, hopefully that that keeps up. Yeah. Well, Jake, I always appreciate uh, having you on the show. You're always very well, well-spoken and we appreciate, uh, you know, telling us a little bit about life inside the bubble and, and inside the Bruins dressing room. So congratulations on the new contract and uh, hopefully we're, we're talking again soon. Maybe uh, we will get you from an airport when you're flying off the training camp. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds great, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is Edmonton's Jake DeBrusque checking in the uh, deal with the Boston Bruins announced on Monday, two years, $7.35 million. It is 648. Great to have Jake on the show. We're back after the break. Guns and Roses. Better be careful here, Kellen. There's, there might be uh, a naughty word later in this song. There we go. Nice, nice fade out. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Just want to get to some text messages here. Jeff, it's great to have Jake DeBrusque on the show, by the way. Boston Bruins forward gets a two-year deal with them. He's ready to go whenever they want to go. Uh, some text. My goodness, the Fizzler wrote a text tonight. Fizzler is very selective with when he sends his texts. Uh, either because he that's just his personality, he likes to pick his spots, or he goes long periods of time without knowing where his phone is and therefore can't text. Um, so Jeff Merrick was saying how a player who who is supposed to make around eight fifty thousand, eight hundred fifty thousand in the NHL with deferrals and escrow might only get paid 180,000. The Fizzler says, Reed, I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty happy to take home $180,000 a year. Armswar says 180 grand on a nine year career, still a good chunk of change. Most professional salaries are a hundred a year. Hockey players can still work almost half less than a professional. Yeah. I, look guys, when, when we're talking about, I'm not asking anybody to feel bad for pro hockey players. I'm not asking anybody just to, to, um, I realize hockey players make more annually than most of us, even, even the lowest paid hockey players. But I think the reason we have to talk about it is because what is going on right now is delaying the start of the season. If they didn't have to figure this out, and if the NHL didn't ask for more deferrals and possibly more in escrow, we probably would have already set a start date for training camp in the regular season, whether it was January 1st or 7th or 5th or whatever. So because this is being talked about and because players are deciding how much they're going to be willing to sacrifice on a deal that's already been signed, we're in a delay period. So I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to raise sympathy or, or uh, woe is me for players or owners. I'm just saying it's, the money is part of the story. And it may be a larger amount of money than, than most of us have to deal with, but it is part of the story. So I, I think that's the context of why I, I bring it up. Stu is on the line, 780-496-0063. Stu, thanks a lot for holding. Go ahead, sir. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Okay, I have a name for the Edmonton football team. Sure, go ahead. Okay. How about the Edmonton Escalators? The Edmonton Escalators. All right. Edmonton I've not heard that one before. Have you? 
I no, I hadn't heard that one before. What made you think no. of escalators? Well, because uh, like uh, every team goes up and down, right? And like Commonwealth Stadium and like Edmonton's full of escalators, and half the time they don't work. But I think <laughs> it would work, right? And I think it's a catchy name, the Edmonton Escalators. I don't think anyone's thought that up. Stu, I will. Uh, I'll put that on the list. You know, you can submit that on the team's website, right? Okay, Stu's gone. The Edmonton Escalators. We had somebody calling in the other day uh, about the Edmonton Encore. So we've had a couple people going going uh, a little further off the beaten path tonight. So the, the Escalators would be an interesting one. That would raise some eyebrows for sure. Thanks to, to Stu for calling in tonight. Oh, we got to do the news. We got to do the news. By the way, tomorrow's Thursday night or on U.S. Thanksgiving. Well, it won't happen. The Ravens and the Steelers has been switched to Sunday, 11.15 a.m. Mountain Time uh, because of some COVID problems with uh, with those teams. So they won't play tomorrow. They'll just be the uh, traditional, well, what used to be a traditional doubleheader tomorrow. So uh, no Thursday nighter. Baltimore and Pittsburgh gets moved to Sunday. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.